cultures, language defines culture. Uh, depending when you grew up in certain decades, you have certain words that mean certain things. Uh, I love giving my daughter a hard time. I like to use the words that are used today in the wrong way or in wrong situations or really just around her friends. I want to be that dad that embarrasses my daughter uh, every once in a while. She's not in here, and so I can say that. Um, just don't tell her. Um, but, but language matters. Uh, sometimes as we read the scriptures, uh, the language doesn't always make sense. Uh, sometimes it's hard to always understand what is happening. And there was a guy named Eugene Peterson who was working with some people who didn't understand the Scripture and they didn't know what the, the Bible was talking about. And so he put the Scriptures in a paraphrase, and it's called The Message. Uh, I want to read to you John 1.14. If you don't own a Bible, there's a red Bible around you somewhere. Please take that. That's our gift to you. Uh, this Scripture will sound a little different in that Bible, but, but listen to the language uh, Eugene Peterson uses for John 1.14. says this, talking about Jesus. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind of glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. We're in a series week two called Invisible. And the goal for us is that we begin to try and make the kingdom of God, that which seems invisible, visible to the people around us. And this is what happens in this moment. The, the big word for it is just incarnation, uh, God in the flesh, that God enters into our world. He literally puts on flesh and moves into the neighborhood. And it's in that moment, that which was invisible is now visible. It is tangible. Uh, Jesus enters into our world. Uh, he was no longer out there, but he moves into the spaces and places of people. And this changes everything. Before, God would speak through man. He would speak through prophets. Uh, people would hear from him, and there would be a, a message that would come. But here we have God in the flesh made visible. And so we looked at this last week. We, we talked about how the reason this happens is because of you. Uh, we looked at this idea that people matter. Jesus comes because people matter. All people matter. We, we ran through this. Last week, we, we talked about those people, right? Whether they're liberal or conservative or moderate, they matter. Maybe they disagree with you, they matter. They live a lifestyle different than you, they matter. They're not from the U.S., they matter. And so we believe that God comes in, uh, to our lives, into our world through Jesus because people matter. And Jesus gives these disciples who he has come to this call and command that they would go and make disciples. And all Jesus really is doing is saying, you're invited to be a part of this process to help other people follow me. A disciple is just a learner, the ways of Jesus. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple. And the command for your life is to help other people look more like Jesus. And we talked about this. I think that's desire for many of us, but we don't always know how to do it. Uh, it can be hard. You've been told you need to go and make disciples. Uh, but, but maybe no one walked along with you to do that. And so we're taking some time to, to look at really two words, evangelism and discipleship. Two Christian words um, that maybe are overwhelming to you. Uh, maybe you've seen done poorly or you don't understand how to do it. Uh, we're trying to pay attention to that. But we need some help. Uh, I've shared with you before, I'm not very good with cars. I know when my car is not running well. That's about as far as it goes. 
Um, but right now, if you don't know much about cars, uh, there's something called the rotor that's on a, a wheel, and it gets out of balance, and it doesn't uh, work right. And so when it doesn't work right, your car shakes really, really bad. And mine shakes really, really, really bad, right? And I know what it is. I know what the problem is, but I'm unable to fix it. And normally what happens is my great father-in-law, who used to be a mechanic, I just take my car to him. I just let him do it, right? And and I'll hand him tools, but I've never learned how to do it, right? The goal would be for me to finally sit down and watch Charlie do it to where then I could do it on my own. You've been told to do something, I think, for many of us. We've been told that we should do something or we need to do something, but we really don't know what it looks like. And so we want to learn this together. Uh, Last week, as we looked at incarnation, we we talked about people matter, and so God comes to us. And so if other people matter, then then we go to them. And once we understand the incarnation, that all people matter, it should lead to the next thing that we're going to talk about, and that is a good reputation. If we understand that all people matter, that we matter, uh, it begins to lead uh, us to have a good reputation for God, but it also gives a good reputation to him. And reputation is simply the beliefs or opinions that generally are held about someone or something. You have a reputation. People think something about you when they think about you, and I think great things about you, and most people probably do. Uh, But we have to understand that that for Christians as a whole, uh, we don't always have the best reputation. Um, People don't always have the greatest feelings when it comes to thinking about Christians. And and there's some good reasons for that. We're going to look more at that uh, next week. But I think it's our responsibility as followers of Jesus to begin to work hard to begin to change that reputation. Uh, My family doesn't have the best reputation when it comes to animals, uh, specifically fish. Uh, several years ago at uh, the carnival here uh, in, in Florissant, uh, we won some fish. If you remember this, if you're around that time, we won some fish. They died quickly. And if you have small children and you have fish that die, you have to replace those fish that died. Or you should is what I hear. And so we did. We replaced these fish and uh, they quickly died as well. We, we were not good with fish. But for some reason, we continued to have fish. And so my son has had Benny, this little fish, for several years. And I get this phone call the other day, and the first thing my wife says, I can't find Benny. Now, I would understand if it wasn't a fish why you wouldn't be able to find a pet, but how do you lose a fish, right? And so we literally have no idea where Benny went. Benny is no longer in his tank. Um, we think he was eaten by the filter, and so uh, we have no fish. And, and we're learning that we're not great with other animals. Dogs, not as bad. We don't have great luck with dogs always. But, but what we're learning is some animals we, we aren't very good with. And, and this week with the tornado, we have my daughter who has a gecko. And so we had to get the gecko because we had to go and take shelter. And so she got the gecko and she put it in a shoebox. And we took the gecko, Hamilton, uh, down into our basement with us. And everything was great. We come back upstairs, and I told Kennedy, I was like, you need to watch Hamilton so he doesn't get out. You should probably go put him up. And her words were, it'll be okay. And so a few minutes later, she goes to put Hamilton up, and Hamilton is gone. And Hamilton is a small lizard about this big, and so, you know, we begin to go look for Hamilton, and and I did what good dads do. I reminded her what I had told her that she needed to do with Hamilton, right, as we're looking for Hamilton. That's what a good dad does. And so 
we're looking around and we're moving couch cushions and looking all around. And finally, I pick up a couch and Hamilton is right underneath this couch. Luckily, we found Hamilton, but we are not good when it comes to animals. We don't have a good reputation, but for some reason, people think we should watch their animals. Uh, Right now, we're watching a friend's hamster, and I'm terrified that something is going to happen to this hamster. Uh, My in-laws are out of town, and they thought we should watch their bird and baby chickens, right? So I have a small petting zoo for a small fee. You can come and hang out with animals on Memorial Day, right? But here's the thing. My reputation, right, it carries some weight, right? I think people are a little afraid, but there's no other option, so they let us watch their animals. But there is a reputation that we have. There is a reputation that you have. We have to pay attention to that, specifically if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're here today, and I would hate to assume that everyone is a follower of Jesus, you have thought something about Jesus, and you have thought something about Christians, and my hope is you'll continue to come through this series. You'll grow in what you believe about God, what you think about God, and also hopefully see what we're trying to do as followers of Jesus See, as we observe the life of Jesus, we'll see that there were some amazing things that happened in his life. He entered into the world, and he lived among people, and he had good street cred. Like, people had good things to say about Jesus, but here's what's interesting. It was a specific group of people who had things good to say about Jesus. It was usually the people who were far from God, who had a great feeling about Jesus. Those who were religious, the religious leaders and the teachers, they didn't like Jesus. Jesus was doing some things different. He was fully human. He experienced sadness and anger and frustration. He was tired and he was hungry. I think we forget that about Jesus, that Jesus experienced all of those emotions. He didn't push those aside. And actually what Jesus was doing in that moment was showing us how to actually live as a human. What does it look like to have those emotions and feelings and to have them in a healthy way? And he builds his reputation So how does he do it? I want to help us just a few things I want to point out on how Jesus builds his reputation. The first thing, I think Jesus had a hype man. Uh, Jesus had someone who came before him and hyped him up. There was someone who was pointing to Jesus. Jesus doesn't enter the world without someone pointing to him. There was this guy named John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist was kind of a weird guy. He wore clothes made of camel's hair which he did this as a stance against worldly materialism. While everyone else was in lavish clothes, he didn't. Uh, He had a simple diet of locust and honey, and people were coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. But here's what's interesting. John the Baptist's life was not about himself. He was pointing to Jesus. He was actually telling them there was someone else who was going to baptize them in a different way. There was actually someone named Isaiah who not only was speaking about Jesus, but was speaking about John the Baptist and said, look, there is going to come someone who would prepare the way for the Lord. So John is actually the one who ends up baptizing Jesus. But John's announcement, his proclamation was not about what he was doing. It was about what Jesus was coming to do. His purpose in life was simply to point to Jesus, to get others prepared and ready to see Jesus. See, I think we're called to point to Jesus. And maybe you know that. Uh, Maybe you've believed that, that we are called to prepare the way for Jesus. 
See, John couldn't save anybody. Even in John's greatness and what he was accomplishing, he couldn't rescue or redeem anyone. And it wasn't his responsibility. That's not the purpose of John's life. His purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. His purpose was to point to him. His purpose was to help other people see Jesus. See, God is at work in people's lives even when we don't see it. God is at work in those people's lives who you would think would never come to know who God is. And we can trust him. We can believe that God is at work in their life. Maybe you have children who have walked away. You don't know what to do. You you want them to, to know and you feel like there's this pressure on you. And maybe what you're just simply supposed to do is to love them and point them to Jesus. See, just like John, you can't save anybody. You can't rescue. You can't make anybody follow Jesus. But you can with your lives and with your words. You can point to the one who can. See, here's the the good news, and here's where I think we've often got confused when it comes to evangelism and discipleship. You, You don't determine anybody's eternity. That's not on you. You don't determine whether or not they will follow Jesus. I've been in settings, I've been in places where someone stood where I am standing, and they made some sort of comment that says, if you don't tell them, and something happens, could it have been your responsibility? I don't know if you've heard that, but that is this huge weight that maybe was put on you. And so then you kind of live in fear. But here's my question. Uh, if you had anywhere to go this morning, if you went into a grocery store, did you tell every person you came in contact with about Jesus? Probably not. What, what about yesterday? What in the last week or month, right? So here, here's the truth. People's lives are in God's hands, not yours. They're not. There is this invitation for you to play a part in the process, that you are invited to help point people to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that draws people to God, not you. So you don't get to decide the decisions that others make. But through your reputation for Jesus, it could play a role in someone coming to know who God is is. You you play a part in praying for them, praying for their needs, praying for their heart, praying for what's going on in their life. You can encourage them. You can support them in whatever is going on in their life. You can send them scripture if they're in that point in their faith and they're searching and seeking. Maybe you want to send them an encouraging scripture, but maybe it's a lot more tangible than that. Uh, Maybe it's providing a meal for someone. Uh, maybe it's cutting the grass of a neighbor. I always find it interesting um, when people complain about someone. Um, and the question I often will ask is, well, do you know what's going on in their life? Do you know what's happening? M- maybe they just need someone to reach out to them and to help them. And so maybe a part as a follower of Jesus is you just begin to do some tangible things. That we don't just proclaim following Jesus. We don't just show up on Sundays, and many of you do this but with your lives, with the people you work with, the people you live with, the people around you, you put into practice what you believe and you simply just help. Here's one thing that I'm, I'm learning to do and, and I would encourage you to do as well is when you know someone's going through something difficult, there's two things you can do. Uh, one is just simply say, how can I help? How can I help? 
And, and if you're like me, I often tell people, no, I'm okay. Right? Have you experienced that? You know someone needs help. You know they're in a time of need, and you say, hey, can I do anything for you? And they usually say, no, I'm okay. This is what I'm learning. What would you want done in that situation? What, what do you need in that moment? If you know someone's lost someone, a meal is what they could use. So instead of asking always, hey, is there anything you need? Just do something you know that you would need in that moment. This is what we do. This is how we point people to who Jesus is. We live out what we believe, and we see that in Jesus' life. We see that with John. John is just pointing to Jesus, and that's the invitation to you as well, to point to Jesus. The second thing we see, and I talked just briefly about it, is we see that Jesus was human. Right? This is one of those things that can be hard to understand, and I, and I admit that, that, that Jesus was fully God and fully human. Fully God and fully human. Jesus was a baby, a real baby, right? He was a teenager. Parents, right, if you've had a teenager, that was Jesus at some point. Jesus was fully human. He had desires and emotions. He had temptations. And in the midst of that, he did not sin. Fully human, fully God. And he gets part of his reputation because he was human, uh, Luke 3.23, this is kind of a, a scripture you can overlook, but, but this is what it says. Uh, this is the Gospel of Luke, an account of the life of, of Jesus. It says this, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. This always fascinates me. 30 years? What is Jesus doing for 30 years? There was a lot Jesus could have been doing, and maybe he was and we don't know. But for 30 years, Jesus was just living life in a community with people. He knew his neighbors. He cared for people, and people knew that. 30 years of just doing life, 30 years of working hard at his job, 30 years of being normal, as normal as Jesus could be, 30 years of being a native local to his community. There's even at some point when Jesus finally does enter into the ministry and he begins calling people to follow him, and they hear where Jesus is from. He's from Nazareth. He's from the, the community where can anything good come from there? That's the response. That's where Jesus was. That was part of Jesus' reputation. And he has impact because of that. Because he had made those relationships. And so here, here's one of the things that we have to do. We have to pay attention to our reputation as followers of Jesus. That we don't become people who try to be just more godly than we are. That we don't make people believe something that's not true about us. Like that we are people who are still broken, who still have temptations, who still have struggles, who at times have problems in our relationships. That's the real story. Um, Hugh Halter, who is an author and moved into Alton, he, he travels around speaking. A lot of what, what I'm learning about this has come from him. And he said this, he said, incarnational living, putting God in the flesh, us taking that on. He says, incarnational living isn't about trying to deny our humans and appear godly. It is about humbly walking among our friends and letting them see how God is changing our humanness. Right? There's something that happens in our lives when God begins to change us. People recognize that. People see that. We don't push our humanness away. What we do is we see that God is doing something in us. 
But the temptation, especially as followers of Jesus, is we can pretend. We can pretend that we have it all together, that we've figured it all out. But maybe what we need to do is just be honest with people and say, look, there's this thing in my life and God is helping me get through it. It's hard. There's an area in my life where I'm trying to change and I struggle at times, but, but with Jesus, things are looking differently. This is where the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the religious people struggled. Matthew 23. Matthew 23, starting in verse 23. I'll start in 25. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. This is the second part of what we looked at last week. He says, You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so what they were concerned about is how people perceived them, right? And so they just cared about their external appearance. I remember when I had little kids. Anybody ever find uh, the sippy cup, like the sippy cup that had like rolled underneath, right? Yes, some of you are shaking your head. You have experienced this. I have experienced it, and you can't see in it. And so, you know, someone has to open the sippy cup, and I got that one somehow. And so you open the sippy cup. It looks okay on the outside, but inside it smells literally like death. This is what he is saying to the Pharisees. On the outside, everything looks good. Whitewashed tomb in a cemetery, it's beautiful. But inside there is dead bones. And so I just think it would do us good to not run from those things, to just be honest and open with people. To not put on this holier than thou that we have it all figured out. That the reputation that we can help with uh, Jesus' reputation is just by being honest and saying, look, Jesus is doing something in our lives. Jesus is helping change who I am. And so what you do is, as we think about our reputation, what we try and figure out is how God begins to change our character. Right? He begins to change our hearts and how we see people and treat people, the things that we fight for as we speak up about injustice. Those are the things that God is doing in us. Uh, D.L. Moody, who was an evangelist in the late 1800s, he said this, if I take care of my character, my reputation of itself. And so we, we push back against the idea as a follower of Jesus as just appearing one way. We ask God to begin to change our hearts, and then our reputation will change as well. The next thing that we see in Jesus' life is that he was present. He was present in people's lives. We see in Mark 5, uh, Jesus is on his way to go and heal a daughter that is dying. A man comes and says, my my daughter is dying. Can you come and do something? And Jesus responds, and he goes on his way. But something happens. Mark 5. Mark 5, verse 25. It says, A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So as I said earlier, Jesus began forming this reputation where everywhere Jesus went, there were these crowds of people who were waiting to see what he was going to do. 
They wanted to hear what he was going to say. Was he going to feed them lunch again, right? They just wanted to see what was going on in Jesus' life. And so there's this large crowd that is pressing around Jesus as he makes his way to heal this young girl. It says verse 25, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This is a, a, a womanly bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, again, reputation, she had heard something about Jesus. There was this one who could possibly heal her. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. It says, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? It says, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So here's what I want to point out here. I think the greatest miracle in this story isn't necessarily that the woman is freed from her suffering. That is a, a beautiful story, right? She's found healing. But I think the, the better thing in the story is that Jesus stops. Right, that Jesus is on his way to heal someone. You would think that would be the only thing on his mind. Right? He could have been moving and thought, okay, someone got their healing and what they needed. I'm going to continue on. But there was something else that happened in this moment. And what he wanted to portray this woman was his presence and not just this healing. And it, here's what I know about this woman. And she had been pushed to the boundaries uh, she probably would have been unable to worship with someone else, with anybody else because of her bleeding. She would have been seen as unclean. And so if you get the picture, this woman is probably covered and she is sneaking through the crowd because she wasn't supposed to be with those people. And so she finds her way to Jesus and she thinks, if I can just touch Jesus and she's healed. But Jesus wants to see that she's loved. Jesus restores her not just physically but back into community. He looks at her and knows her. He is present in her life. And here's what I love about Jesus. This isn't the only time that we see Jesus stop. Jesus had the practice of stopping. He had a reputation of stopping to be with people. I have to be honest, I'm not sure that's my reputation all the time. I think often I want that, but I'm busy. I feel like I'm always in a hurry. There's been a couple of times where people have even mocked how I walk. I'll be in large crowds. I was at uh, the conference we put on last week, and I had one thing on my mind I needed to do. And I, a pastor friend I know was on the other side, and he began walking really fast because he saw that's how I was walking. That is, that is a part of who I am. I'm on the go, and I am moving. And the thing I often tell people is, hey, we should do coffee. Hey, we, we should figure out you coming over and having a meal at our house. But busyness gets in the way. Other priorities get in the way. But I believe, I believe that if I'm going to build a reputation that looks like Jesus, I have to slow down. I have to be willing to stop. 
I have to be willing to say no to some things so I can say yes to other things. I have to pay attention to the people around me. And so tangibly, what does this look like for you this week? Because I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one that is too busy and we have a hard time being present with people. So what does that tangibly look like for you? One of those things I want to encourage you to do, this is going to be hard, uh, but just put your phone away. Just, I, don't, I, don't, I don't often teach in a way where I tell you what to do or what you should do. I try not to should on people, uh, but, but I'm, I'm encouraging you. I'm, I'm encouraging you. Just separate from your phone for a while. If you, have, if you have kids, just go charge it in the other room. The world will continue to go on. God is still in control, even if I'm not looking at it on my phone. Some of you don't have a, a problem with this, but many of us do. I know there's times where my kids probably say my name several times before I even realize they're asking for me. How easy it is. And here's the, the thing I think we often do is in public. I, I look around often and it's hard to even encourage someone or have conversation with someone because no one's looking up. So a very simple thing, and obviously you don't have to do this, but I think to help Jesus' reputation is we just have to be present with people more. We just have to separate from the busyness and the things that keep us from being with people and be with people because that was Jesus' reputation. And then the fourth thing, the final thing. Jesus' reputation, this is probably his primary reputation, is that he was a friend of sinners. That was the title that, that Jesus quickly got, that he was a friend of sinners. Matthew 11. Matthew 11. Verse 18 and 19 says this, speaking of John, who we just talked about earlier. It says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he was a demon. As I said earlier, John kind of had a reputation as well. Uh, it says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but that was the reputation that Jesus had. Because he was spending time with people who were known as maybe those who ate a little too much or drank a little too much. Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So just real quick, uh, if you don't know, there were sinners and then there were like tax collectors. Uh, tax collectors were the worst of the worst. Uh, they were collecting taxes um, against their own people and asking for more. Tax collectors were hated. And this is Jesus was a friend to the tax collectors and the sinners. This is what Jesus was known for. I'm not sure that we're known for that. I think we maybe are known more as people who separate ourselves from people. That, that maybe once people get cleaned up, maybe once people get fixed, th then we'll be in relationship. And, and here's the word that I would want to kind of zone in on. It wasn't that just Jesus was around sinners. It wasn't that just Jesus knew some sinners. He, he was a friend to sinners. This was a reputation that Jesus had built for a long time. This wasn't like an event that Jesus had that got him this reputation. 
This was ongoing relationships with people who were far from God, who were irreligious, who were doing things they weren't supposed to be doing. And this is who Jesus was with. This is why the religious people had a problem with it. The problem with Jesus often is because he was with those people. And so as followers of Jesus, uh, we're okay to be called friends of sinners. It is okay for us to be with people who maybe are far from God, who don't live life as maybe we think they should. And this means that maybe we'll have to overlook some things. Uh, maybe this means that we'll spend time with people in places that maybe we normally wouldn't. But we see this was Jesus' reputation. We see this is who Jesus was. And here's the reason I think Jesus could do it, and maybe we have a harder time doing it. Jesus was able to really see people. Like, really see people. Uh, there was a rich young ruler who came to him, and, and he's trying to make sure he's good with God, and he's with, with, with Jesus, so he's asking about the requirements, and, and he's telling him everything he's been doing, and, and Jesus tells him in this moment to go sell everything and give it to the poor. But before he does that, the scripture says that Jesus saw him and loved him. I think Jesus already knew that he was going to walk away, that it was going to be too much for this guy to sell everything and then come and follow him. But Jesus saw him, he knew him, and he loved him. I think we need to begin to work really hard to really see people, to hear their stories where they come from, what they've experienced, to just be with people in that, to not assume certain things or judge them about certain things, but just to see people as those who are created in the image of God, who are deeply loved by God. And so instead of pointing out the worst in people and failing to see them, we'll love them and really attempt to see them for who they are. And so what will it look like for your reputation, for my reputation, to look more like the reputation of Jesus this week when it comes to those you would normally maybe judge or assume certain things about or speak poorly about or post about? Who, who could you pray for this week instead of believing certain things? And then finally, in what way can your life help the reputation of Jesus this week? Are you hindering that reputation, or are you helping it? Well, uh, Justin and Catherine, maybe just Justin, is going to come back up. Uh, Greg, our worship pastor, is out of town this week, and so I'm thankful that Justin and Catherine were willing to help us out uh, with worship and lead. We sing a song at the end of every service. Uh, it's, it's not just something we do. Uh, the, the lyrics of this song are really about what we've heard and then putting them into practice, about being a part of the kingdom of God, because I want to make the invisible kingdom visible to everyone I come in contact with. Not because I'm just talking about it, but because the way I'm living my life, the, the way I'm treating people and fighting for things that I should be fighting for. Uh, this was part one. This is, I think, one of the most important things as it comes to evangelism and discipleship is understanding how our reputation speaks about God. And so we're going to look even more into it next week, into some more details and what it looks like for us to practically live this out. Would you stand as I pray and we'll sing this last song together?